0: From Red Kite Prayer, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, Celine Yeager, a.k.a. the Fit Chick of Bicycling Magazine. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. How goes it, Celine? It's uh
1: snowing. Patrick, how's it there? <laughs> it's, all I, it's all I can say. We got a, It's been such a, an interesting... I, I feel like I'm always talking about the weather, because we do have weather on the East Coast. Um, it. We're getting a rare Nor'easter that is dumping, you know, they said maybe one to three. We already have four. Like, it's not. (laughs) It's not one. (laughs) So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see when it stops. But that's how it's going. Yeah.
0: Oh, you know, it's funny to me that, you know, I I left the U.S. when most everyone was busy having an Indian summer. Yes. And I returned to winter.
1: You did. You did. Because I was at the USAC, uh, the USA Cycling conference last weekend uh-huh. and uh-huh. I had to bug out of there a little early because a giant snowstorm was coming through you know the front and I wanted to get out uh <laughs> so I left and it was kind of nice here and now the snow is here and yeah welcome winter is uh at least knocking on the door it's here for the holidays mm, and then I realized yeah. that it was Thanksgiving next week because I thought it was the week after because is it early I is it me? I can't be the only uh, one no, that went. Oh my God! No. It's Thanksgiving next week. Uh, you're
0: not even close to the only one. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's crazy. It's ar- uh, okay. it, has,
0: it has seriously snuck up. Yeah.
1: Anyway, so I'm a little. Uh, I'm, I maybe I should have less espresso right now, but it's fine. It's fine. It'll make for a good no. show. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. We'll we'll get through an hour long show in half an hour. Yeah,
1: exactly. The people won't have to do that thing where they, you know, they put it on Speed a little. High. Up, <laughs> yeah. Oh, righty well, what's your poll this week? My poll my poll is an interesting one um I'm calling it don't wait for your life to begin It's what okay. I'm calling it so a little backstory I used to write a lot for women's magazines, you know the Back in the day, they were lose, shrink, everything. Lose your belly button thighs, blah blah blah. You know, I mean it there there wasn't yeah. as much body positivity or any of that. Everybody knows like it was a lot every cover line of every story was about Be your about, best self. Oh my god, it was just it was yeah, just shrink, shrink, shrink. Lose lose 30 pounds, lose all this pounds. And you know, it Frankly, it was it was depressing, and I got out of it because it just it bothered me too much. I felt like I was part mm-hmm. of a larger problem, and I, I just didn't want to be part of that. Um, mostly because even though I was always trying to promote strength and strength training and, you know, all these positive things, the message mm-hmm. wasn't getting through. And I would meet people who would say things like, you know, yeah, as soon as I, you know, I want to lose like 20 or 30 pounds, and then I'll join a gym. And I'll be like, <laughs> well, you know, but I right but you kind of get it cuz they're embarrassed right they 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 feel like people are going to look at them and they're going to be like they don't then they don't see anyone that looks like them in the gyms even though all the gyms are like oh come and you know get this all they show is these physiques that y- you don't see yourself there when you're a large person right so you just don't feel yeah. like like why would i go in there people are just going to mm-hmm. stare at me and i don't belong um yep. so You know, it would, that day, those pounds would not come off and they wouldn't, their life would just pass them by. And I know people who have spent decades now doing that. You know, Mm. and the older I get, the more it really bothers me. I mean, it bothered me in my 20s and it really bothers me in my 40s. Like, it just really bothers me. Mm -hmm. So, um, Whatever, yeah. You know, whatever you believe, I. This is our only time on this big blue marble in our current form, right? So I like. Well said. Yeah. So, I did this story this week for bicycling, and I came across it was cool. There was this Reddit post of this woman who, uh, a photographer. Her name was Sarah Pierce, and she you know, pretty young, older twenties. Um, a photographer had caught her at the barriers on her very first cyclocross race, and then fourteen months later, and. It was amazing. like she like the transformation between those two shots like it even surprised her. like you know you hear people that don't realize that they've gained weight until they see pictures of themselves. She seemed mm-hmm. to like not realize how much she had changed uh, the other way around until she saw pictures uh-huh. of herself. So anyway, she had you know battled weight her I, I contacted her because I thought it was such a really cool post. So I contacted her. she had battled weight her whole adult life. Um, even though she had sort of dabbled in collegiate racing and sort of, you know, she was even a Swan yore, she had tried to get really involved in the sport, she could never really make progress. And then some people, uh, Billy Elliston being one of them, said, yeah, you should try cyclocross. You know, you get a lot of top end, it's really good for threshold, it's all these things. And she, at that point, was 207 pounds. Um, she bought a cyclocross bike, but she sat there and didn't use it for three years because... You know, in her words, like she she went to a race and she didn't see anyone that looked like her. She's like all these willowy fast women. And she mm-hmm, said, mm-hmm. you know, I thought I was too fat, too slow, too weak, too uncoordinated, and people would laugh at me. And then uh, she turned 30 and she got introspective and she's like, F it, I'm going to do it. You know, she just, she got up the courage and... She did it. And it wasn't easy. You know, she flatted her first actual race that one they took the picture, and she was running a whole 3K. She was running her bike because she had just missed the pits. Mm. <laughs> so she ran the whole time. But she didn't quit. You know, her coach, like, she she hired a coach, and the, the coach had her in a skin suit, which was super, you know, she's like, I felt like I was racing in Spanx, you know, the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but she did it. And and she, you know, she stuck with it. And she found like this team, this local team welcomed her. This coach just kept encouraging her. And she, she like she is now like living her best life. Like, as soon as she started viewing herself as, as someone who belonged, she started treating herself that way, right? So she, like, she just started fueling herself appropriately, not thinking, oh, I've got to diet, but like, I've got to eat right because this thing is hard and I've got to eat well for this thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, she, yeah. So she lost, you know, which is almost immature, but she's lost 30 pounds. Her body composition has changed radically, but she looks right. like a whole other person. She like radiates, you know, like you see these pictures of her now. And I just, you know, that's, that's really my only pull is don't wait to live your life. Like, we're all coming into the end of the year. There's a new year starting. Everybody, you know, gets a little introspective this time of year. And I know so many people who have pushed the pause button on their lives until whatever. And that whatever, you're, you're always going to be to something. Just, just go out because it's always going to be better than you think it is. People will be more supportive than you think they're going to be. And that is like... I'll step off my soapbox now, but I was really touched by her story and we can put a link on it uh, maybe to the show site because it's a very, yeah. very cool story. And judging by, it blew up. Like I was, honestly, I was a little concerned that, you know, the trolls out there would be like, oh, well, she's still not like, you know, because she, she's still a curvy woman. Everybody has been amazing. Like it's it's been such a, a wonderful uh, experience for me to watch like all the positivity coming through uh, the social channels and the website. So... It's just – and she's just an everyday cat for woman, and she's just, like, glowing. You know, like this – she can only go up from here. And I, I think that no matter where you are, you start somewhere, and you should just start because, you know, now's the time. Anyway, I, I was wondering, is there any time in your life – have do you relate to this? I mean, I know I, I kind of relate, but I tend to just – barge into things, not thinking, you know, not thinking quite as much, but, um, you know, sometimes when I get into those things, I think maybe I should have thought about this, but, uh, yeah, I just, she's actually inspired me to be like, okay, you know, like, cause I get in my own head sometimes. And like, it's a nice reminder to me to like, just get out of my head and not worry about it.
0: Celine Yeager even worries about herself.
1: I do. I do. Everybody is. No one is immune. No one is immune. I, That's another point you know, for th- another time.
0: That is, I, I think there's just a huge lesson in that, that, you know, we always look at other people who've achieved more than we have and think, oh, you know, they've got it all sewn
1: up. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> nope, yeah, Not sewn up. close. Like a rag yeah. doll with the stuffing coming out of the seams. That's how we have it all sewn up. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, for me... One of the really big
0: takeaways in this is the value of community, finding some people who support you. Totally. Yeah. There's a woman here in town, uh, a friend of mine, Chris Culver, who she's just one of those forces. You know, she she just radiates positivity everywhere she goes. Um, She's. She's more upbeat and positive than any cheerleader you've ever met. And yet she's not, you know, a pom-pom shaker. Mm -hmm. Um, She was the woman who started the Sonoma County Bike Coalition. You know, she, I mean, she gets in and she does stuff. And recently she started a Thursday morning women's ride. And there are women who are like, oh my gosh, I've got to get up. How I am not missing this. And... You know, so it's one of those things that she's transforming the women's cycling community here in town by just organizing another ride, you know, a ride just for them. Mm-hmm. And I find myself uh, oddly envious. I knew you were going to uh, say that.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. You know, I, I, and maybe it's not oddly, but I'm, yeah, I'm a little envious of them. It's like, wow, look at this cool thing happening. Uh, especially given that this town is so not group ride culture. Hmm. So to to see that going on, it's like, man, that's really cool. And I, you know, so yeah, it dovetails with that, that ongoing, you know, message of just how critical it is to find your tribe, to find those people who will be supportive of you. And yeah, kudos to them for saying, hey, come ride with us.
1: Yeah, no, it's awesome. They they opened up the team store so she could get... You know, close after it was it was shut down, and the whole thing was just great. But I can't remember how she put it. Like none of us are, we take our racing seriously, but not ourselves. I think is kind of there. You know, which is actually the perfect. Everybody should have such a mm-hmm. motto, <laughs> like from all yeah. the way up the ranks. Honestly, yeah, yeah.
0: Get out there and try, but you know, don't worry about who it is you are. You know, it's yeah, and. Like you said, I mean, the way I put it to people is I'm only on the spinning hunk of rock once that I know of.
1: Right. Uh, yeah. It's this is it. This is it. This is it. Is that I mean, it's, there's so many cliches around that. But I still think people forget like that. This this kind of actually really is it for here. I mean, again, like I whatever your your beliefs of anything, whether you come back is whatever or you go to another place. This is it for your current form of being right here. Yeah. So it's, it's, there's, you know, someday is no day. So it should be today.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, you know, it's, for me, it's nice to hear all that reinforced because, you know, I made some big changes in my diet this past summer. And I am at a point where I am now reaping the rewards of that. And I'm riding. I, I think I'm riding better than I have in quite some time. But more importantly, I'm feeling better than I have in quite some time on the bike. Mm-hmm. And, oh, it's a relief. I keep joking about this event that I did back in August where I had two days <laughs> of a grasshopper that I did on like 100 watts. They're just I, my legs didn't show up for the whole event. And now, you know, my I'm stronger on my easy rides than I was in that race.
1: I, I I keep hoping that you're able you'll be able to go back to that grasshopper and 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 forge a, a better muscle body memory of the event so uh, yeah yeah
0: I, you know I'm just like 8 months out from that or yeah. <laughs> whatever 9 months out <laughs>
1: well, yeah. It, it'll yeah it'll yeah. it'll
0: happen I'm of that I'm confident you know I feel like I've figured some things out and I've got some momentum and uh you know hey I've got a, a great community here um, so it's a big deal. I, I look for my, yeah, I look forward to my own denouement, uh, as it were. Sweet. Yeah. Well, well welcome home. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and we're going to talk about that in a second, but we've got a new sponsor. So before I get to my poll, we're going to take a little break to introduce them and then we'll be back.
1: Hi everyone. It's Celine. So I'm pretty psyched to tell you about our new sponsor, PowerDot. PowerDot is a smart muscle stimulator, which is essentially a device that passively stimulates your muscles to help with recovery. Anyone who has followed me for any length of time knows I do big, dumb things. That's kind of my game. I've done Ironman, eight-day mountain bike stage races, Dirty Kanza, you get the picture. So for me, recovery is everything. And there's a lot of stuff that promises to help with recovery and I do it and it probably works, but I would be hard pressed to tell you that I feel any meaningful difference in the moment or even right away. That's not the case with electrical muscle stimulation. Electrical stim basically fires up your muscles and causes them to pulse or contract in a rhythmic fashion, which flushes them out, brings in fresh oxygenated blood, carries out the waste. It's like a recovery ride, but from your couch because you're not moving a muscle on your own. And it just works. So when my legs are trashed, I do electrical muscle stimulation. And honestly, the stairs in my house that seem so steep a half hour before are much easier to climb. It works that quickly. So I'm a fan. So are many doctors, therapists, coaches I've consulted over the years. This practice has been around on the professional side for decades. The nice thing about PowerDot is that it's so small and easy to use. The whole unit is smaller than a saddlebag, so it's super portable. And you work it through your phone via Bluetooth and the PowerDot app. You just put on the pads, activate it with your phone, and the units start pulsing. The nice thing with PowerDot is that it also has pre-programmed sessions in the app. So you can just put it on and pick quads, hit the button, and let the machine work its magic. And now, thanks to the sponsorship, PowerDot is giving PaceLine listeners 20% off their order. So just go to powerdot.com, use the code PACELINE at checkout to get twenty percent off your order. That's powerdot.com, use the code PACELINE to get twenty percent off your order today. Okay, we're back
0: with the PACELINE, the podcast on two wheels, and now it's talk uh, it's time to talk about my, my jet lag. Uh, I mean my my recent trip to Taiwan. <laughs> Uh, Yeah, so I got back from Taiwan last night. Uh, On a personal note, briefly, the visit was honestly a bit too long. It started getting pretty lonely. But even so, it was totally worth it. I learned a lot about where the industry is going and where some really fascinating opportunities are. So, broad strokes, here's what the trip was. I went and visited the Taipei Show which is an annual uh well they're, they're busy messing with the calendar so it's not actually annual right now <laughs> they're trying to figure that out but it's a, a b2 b trade show with a component of consumer show um there were some very over the top like ultra produced press conferences and an awards ceremony uh I got to wander the trade show floor some which was fascinating hmm. uh Let's see. What else? Um, There was a demo event where most of the bikes were e-bikes. And even among those e-bikes, there were some really different designs. Uh, I did a five-day tour down the eastern coast of Taiwan. This is the non-industrial side of the island uh, from which the mountains rise almost immediately. That was awesome. And you know, I got to mention that of the, of the many things I hear said about Taiwan, no one ever talks about how it's a tropical paradise. Hmm. But you know what? Totally is. Totally. And then when the tour was over, I headed to Taichung to do a series of factory visits. Uh, I managed to get in five. Velo, the saddle manufacturer. Wheeler, a manufacturer that mostly serves as an assembly factory. Tektro, the brake manufacturer, and frame manufacturer Astro, and then Fritz Jow, which is an assembly factory. That's the guy's name, the owner, Fritz Jow. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I got in a group ride while I was there.
1: Yeah, oh, that's packed. Yeah. Time. Uh,
0: so yeah, it was it was reasonably stacked up. But rather than me just prattle on about whatever pops into my head, I thought it might be nice to kind of turn this around to reflect maybe our listeners' interests and just let you ask me questions about the bits
1: you're curious about. Um, Wow. What is... (laughs) Where to start? I mean, really, where to start? I mean, I I, I don't... I mean, I guess... I guess when I or people who have... I've never been there, right? So I don't have Mm -hmm. any... Like, I visualize mostly automated, machine-run things. When you talk about these factory visits, I have this Mm -hmm. just vision of, you know, robotics and industrial whatever. Like, what, do you see human? Like, what does that actually look like?
0: Well, it's really interesting cuz yeah, my my impression of like some assembly line with, you know, two or three people just watching stuff as it yeah. passes, that is not really the case. There are all these machines that do all these automated things like these little carousels with these shakers that will make sure that the bolt is turned upright so that it falls directly into the slot and then, you know, something comes in and spins the bolt in or something like that. So the There's a lot of automation, but stuff will tend to move two or three or four steps along. And then there needs to be a human being there to pick it up and put it into the next thing. Hmm. So a fair chunk of the labor isn't all that skilled, but it's absolutely critical because they don't have an extra robot to pick something up and stick it into the next station. But then on the other hand, you've got something like Velo where they're making saddles and while I'm not allowed to talk about who they make saddles for aside Mm -hmm. from themselves, they, they make saddles for almost everybody. Uh, Physique is a notable exception. And and it's almost easier to define who, who they make saddles for by saying, Oh, well not physique.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs)
0: Hmm. And those saddles that they're making, there's an incredible amount of handwork and, a high degree of expertise that goes into what makes those saddles, you know, look as good as they do. Hmm. And there's an incredible amount of R&D going on at Velo. So, you know, whereas like, uh, Tectro and TRP, you know, that's another of, of their brands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was a lot of automation there, but Velo was very, very little, automation. Uh, a lot of machines, you know, operated by people. And then, like, the assembly factories, like Wheeler and uh, Fritz Zhao, uh, there's very there's very little automation. You've got carousels that move things along and establish a certain pace for how quickly things get done. Mm-hmm. But... You're not seeing a lot of robotic stuff happening hmm. uh, I the the assembly carousels would move uh somewhere in the neighborhood of like uh two inches a second so it's not super quick yeah. but it's a constant march you know this is not like a minute hand where you're kind of like oh I think I see it moving no nice. it's it is, it is moving um and Yeah, it establishes, you know, a level of productivity that at the end of the day amounts to a whole lot of work done. What I found really interesting at Fritz Chow was that they have a new system, this production cell system of assembly that allows a stunningly high level of customization. Uh, A normal assembly carousel, you're you're doing, you know, a thousand of one kind of bike. You know, every single one of those bikes is getting a 105 rear derailleur, right, that right. sort of thing. Whereas with this production cell method, they might do, you know, a mountain bike with XT and the very next bike they do might be a road bike with Ultegra and the next four bikes after that, might be a hybrid well they wouldn't be doing a hybrid this is all upper end stuff because it's expensive mm-hmm. but it might be you know gravel bikes with a whole bunch of red eTap. tap mm. and so they have the ability to do three of this four of that eight of this one of that and the 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 real story there is the computer-controlled inventory system of making sure all the correct parts are pulled, they're all uh, they're all organized and gathered in a certain sort of way, and there are RFID chips and barcodes and you know QR codes that are scanned, and everything is perfectly tracked. And so, if something happens where you know something was wrong, mm-hmm. they've got a way to trace it. Um, but it's you know, in an age where having, you know, the economics of the bike industry are working more and more against a wearful house of bikes. Yeah. This is a real interesting vision for what the future is. Um, and among their clients... Are some companies that are beginning to do direct consumer uh, work, or already are already doing direct consumer? Interesting. And so that ability to customize, what they're looking at, kind of on down the road, what nobody has fully tapped into, at least for the American market, is the ability for somebody to choose, a you know, choose an individual frame. Choose the color of that frame. Choose you know one of several different paint schemes. Choose the colors. Choose the exact parts pick for their bike. Effectively making each consumer their own product manager.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I, I mean it's it's staggering. How and far so are we from that? It's really about a, a it's it's a matter of like economic commitment and force of will on the part of a manufacturer it's all there yeah it's all there it's all ready to be done and there's one manufacturer that pulled the trigger on a program for japan um but it hasn't really progressed beyond that and i don't even know that it's fully implemented in japan but yeah they you know you can uh, right now they've got 40 different paint colors hmm You know, and so frames are delivered to them, and complete bikes leave them. It's it's a staggering degree of organization and uh, individuation, and of all the things that I saw there in terms of the manufacturing side of the business, that was the one that just completely carbonated my brain, and I, I walked out of there thinking, "Oh my gosh, what this represents." in terms of being able to run a bike company infinitely more lean. Yeah. I mean, I think that what really brought Felt down and caused them to be sold to Rossignol was a warehouse full of bikes.
1: It, it, that's, that's, really that's the nightmare, right? Like that's, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, and so for somebody who's had the vision to get rid of uh, model years and we will just do running
1: changes as necessary... This is it. It, Because it's so artificial, right? Like, I feel like the whole model year thing is such an artificial construct that we've just imposed somehow on ourselves. And I think that that time has been ready to go for a long time.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a real problem. Uh, And, you know, it's one of those things that it was a way to measure uh how you introduced new products and yep. evolved your line yeah but an annual basis doesn't match with the the production cycle of what it takes to create a new model mm-hmm. you know even with a schedule as aggressive as specialized you know they're they're spending you know two three years coming up with uh the revision to a bike like the tarmac
1: oh yeah yeah it's very interesting. Very interesting. Like,
0: Yeah. Uh, and knowing some of the other things that are available in manufacturing now, I look at that and I just think this is we're, we're seeing seeds of what the future is mm-hmm. and I get really excited. You know, I, I, I see points of convergence of this guy's doing this over here. They're doing this. I know this is on the way and to see all those things come together I, I do feel like I'm seeing just around the corner and it's something that has the potential to make the bike industry much healthier, at least for, you know, for the dedicated consumers, uh, who are obsessives about what parts are on their bikes and whatnot. Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty stinking cool. Sweet. Yeah. So
1: how was your yeah. ride? Whoo. Uh, that was that was really interesting. Is there a big the, road scene there? That's probably an ignorant question, but I'll ask it anyway.
0: It's not an ignorant question because you don't know, and I don't know enough to really answer it. Yeah, mm. there's there is, I, as I understand it, the Taiwanese love cycling.
1: Because I'd love um, to do that hill climb, the big oh, like, yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I would love to do the I KM know. challenge. Yeah.
0: Well. What what I've seen of the island and, you know, looking at maps and whatnot, doing the KOM Challenge is, you know, a fingernail scratch at a much bigger thing. I want um, kind of just southeast of Taichung, there's a region of mountains, little, little south of Sun Moon Lake. There's this mountainous region where there are some roads. And I mean... They've got climbs that get up to three thousand meters.
1: yeah, no you it's, know? It's, I had no idea until I started digging in. Yeah, it's crazy. and so
0: there's there's some really interesting riding there for sure, but yeah, I hear about how much the Taiwanese love cycling, and I hear about how their cycling culture isn't driven by racing. And so people are coming at it from a a little different perspective and without the same craze for race level fitness, Mm -hmm. people are just happy to ride. Uh, And I certainly saw people on road bikes without clipless pedals, Hmm. like an Altegra level bike and platform pedals.
1: That's interesting.
0: It was different to me. Uh, It was definitely new to me. It was... Uh, The road ride that I did, you know, the group ride, it was like every group ride that, you know, you've ever encountered. They met at a certain time. They met at 630. They rolled out at 642 once they were certain that pretty well everybody who was showing had shown. Now, because we were in such an urban location, the first hour and a half, uh, it was, you know... 50 meters, 100 meters, a stoplight. 50 meters, 100 meters, a stoplight.
1: How big was the group? For, uh, 14, 16. Okay, that's not too bad. I mean, it gets any bigger than that, gotten, and you have all those stoplights, and it's a nightmare, right?
0: It might have gotten a little bigger than that and gotten split up some. Mm-hmm. They were not terribly concerned with making sure that all the gaps were closed at all times. We were moving so slowly you know, it, it, there didn't seem to be a lot of concern for that, but we had a long time to kind of work our way through traffic and pulled over at a Seven Eleven for a little regroup and people snacked for a minute. Uh, we were probably two hours into the ride at that point. No, couldn't have been that much. We were 15 miles into the ride. So, uh, maybe a little over an hour. Um, yeah. We it really was not moving quickly because all and the the lights in Taiwan oh my gosh dude, uh, a a one minute light is a short light there. Wow seventy five seconds ninety seconds that's that happens that happens a lot, and yeah so I could be sitting there you know like staring at my bar going oh my gosh come on come on, and they don't jump lights, hmm. they do not jump lights there. Uh, The whole group pulled up and stopped and hung out, and everybody was chill about it. They were not impatient. We finally crossed a bridge, turned right, and began what was a very, very gentle grade that finally started becoming uh, an actual climb after we passed what was the last light for quite a while. And then we climbed up over 2,000 feet. And got to a 7-Eleven where everybody regrouped. And there were other groups there that had regrouped. When we really got into the meat of the climb, suddenly the power came out. And I was doing okay. And I was doing okay. And then I realized, oh, wow, here it comes. And I swung out of the group. And I tried to get on at the back, but the the group had turned into a much smaller group than I understood. And that last rider came by me before I was really ready to make the effort to get back in. And so I chased for, I don't know, two miles uh, and finally had to just give up and, and back off the pace. Another rider who'd been shed came up to me with two more and he took a pull and I took a pull and then those other two guys were off of us so he and I just traded poles the the whole rest of the way up the climb and uh we turned out to be really well matched and it was an awful lot of fun he didn't speak a speak a lick of English and I can say hi and thank you (laughs) and that's that's about it and and it turns out I struggle to remember thank you when my heart rate is above 150 um Cause we passed another guy at the top of this one ramp who had pulled over, just like I'm, I'm out, I'm done, I'm I need a break. He was standing on the side of the road, and as we came by, he he looked at me and goes, "Good job." And and you're like, "Huh?" Oh. <laughs> What'd you say? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and then it's like, uh, 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 "Oh yeah, sh uh, sure, sure. <laughs> thank you." <laughs> but by that time, I was twenty feet by, and I don't know if he ever heard it. Um. But the other dude I was working with, when we got to the 7-Eleven, I walked over and gave him a fist bump and blew it up and uh, got a big smile from him for that. And then on the way back down, we were hauling. They didn't just coast down this thing. And it was one of those things that, you know, a lot of it was four, five, six percent. Yeah. And so, you know, you could pedal. There was reason to pedal. And... We were hauling. And then all of a sudden this bus comes up. It's a two lane road and a bus is going to pass. Us. So we had to get really skinny. Well, I was at the back of the group, tapped my brakes to let somebody in. Suddenly I'm going two miles per hour slower than the rest of the group. We hit a little rise and that was it for me. Wow. Uh, yeah. And so then I was chasing like crazy, trying to get back on. Fortunately, they pulled over to mess with somebody's brake and I got to them. And then once we were kind of back into the urban part of Taichung, there was this long, flat, uh, twisty road that paralleled some sort of stream uh, or, or mostly dry river. And that was 28, 30 miles an hour uh, until the sprint. Um, and the one guy who said good job earlier, he and I got to talking, uh, and I found out that normally in season, they're doing 60 kilometers per hour, about 40 miles an hour in that sprint. And if any of the local pros show up, it's more like 45 miles an hour. So it's you your know?
1: classic group ride. It does sound like... It, totally.
0: <laughs> totally. A quintessential
1: group ride and all that that yep. Means. yeah
0: Yep. And then at a certain point, you know, people just started turning off, you know, just disappearing. Right. Uh, but what was really cool was uh, one of the guys who I wasn't sure was ever going to take notice of my presence. Once the the buddy of his who'd been talking to me, he starts turning and translating what I'm saying to the other guys. All of a sudden, they started showing real concern about, well, where are you staying? What's the hotel? Uh, and they were concerned that. I knew how to get back. And I was like, dude, I got a smartphone and a, and a, a Wahoo. I'm I'm good. Uh, and they're like, oh, okay, all right. Um, huh? But they really wanted to make sure that I knew how to get back to my hotel. Quite nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And And they made me promise that next time I'm in town, I'll go for a ride with them.
1: Sounds like a good trip. I mean, a little long, a w- little long, but. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I, I'm going to be over at my boys' school picking them up the moment I can. Sweet. Yeah, yeah. Although we're not going to go outside and ride bikes because of all the fires.
1: Well, yeah, I meant to ask, like, how are you guys up there? I mean, is it smoky? Is it,
0: yeah. It, the, the the air is bad. Uh, the sunrise this morning was beautiful. It should not have been that beautiful. Right, right. Uh, that's really disconcerting. Oh, wow. Look at the sunrise. It's so, Oh wait, that's why it's so pretty. Yeah. Oops. So things are bad. I'm going to try to go up to Chico this weekend with uh, some of the leftover clothing that people mm-hmm. had sent last year during our fires. Uh, I know a race promoter up there and I'm going to, if I don't make it Sunday, I will make it sometime soon, but I'm going to go up and I'm going to distribute a bunch of clothing Perla Zumi also, God bless those folks. They sent me a whole bunch of photo samples that they needed to get rid of oh, cool. quietly. Yeah, and so uh, I can say that folks in and around Chico who lost their homes uh, once they have a bike together, they will not be cold this winter.
1: Yeah, well, we have spoke that the the Perla stuff is good. So yeah, that's yeah, that's nice. It's generous.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, another note, I'm going to be holding a ride, hopefully Thanksgiving weekend, if the if the air cooperates. It turns out that uh, one of the builders who's displayed at NABs, and he works for Paul Components, uh, Mitch Pryor, uh, MAP Cycles. Mitch lived in Paradise, and that's the town that burned. I know. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mitch lost his home and shop, and so... Uh, I'm going to be hosting a ride so that we can pass a hat for him. There was a GoFundMe set up. They've already reached the goal. I I mean, it's silly to me. You can't help somebody who's lost their home too much. There's no such thing as too much help. So we're going to pass a hat for Mitch. And uh, it looks like Don Walker at the North American Handmade Bicycle Show is going to comp Mitch a Booth if he can manage to get something together to show at, oh, cool. Sa- at the Sacramento show this next year. Yeah. So, well, what do you say we move on to the Pace Line Picks?
1: That sounds like a great idea. Um, <laughs> okay. I have, I don't have anything specific only because I don't have anything by this company, which I, I should change quickly because I really want to support this company. Sort of circling back to my my poll um, about, you know, people of different sizes and shapes entering into our sport well, I used to encourage people to enter into a sport of different sizes and shapes, only to have them come to me and be like, so what do I wear? Like, there weren't like, <laughs> well, because a large was a BS large, let's face it. Like, it wasn't really, you know, I mean, and th- and then if you can't fit into an extra large, you go, this is not for me, correct? Um, so my my pick is Machines for Freedom. This this week, it's a company that makes women's clothes, women's kit. They were recently bought by Specialized, so they uh, hmm. they haven't uh, they haven't changed their their gestalt or their look, but they have more firepower behind them for sure now. Uh, Allison okay. Tetrick has been rocking some of their stuff. Uh, they make beautiful their kits are are gorgeous, but that's almost beside the point. What what captures one's eye and has gotten them a lot of attention is their Catalog, their presence, the face of their company, their website—like whatever you see visually, you will see. I mean, it's the first time I've ever seen a woman with long gray hair and wrinkles in a kit, on a, on you know, yeah, like a woman in a photo shoot. Yeah. Oh no. In, in their yeah, and they're in their catalog and on the, the the front page of their website and in their their social media feeds. Like, that's a lo- look. Look, it's an older woman like riding a bike, and they have truly plus-sized women. Again, like and, and they're all in the mix. Like it's just like that, that is what you see. That it's it's a wonderful variety of ages, shapes, sizes, all, you know, all things happy women on bikes in beautiful kits. And I think that you know, representation, we talk a lot about it, it gets a lot of lip service, but representation matters. Like if you don't if you don't see anybody that looks even close to you, you think this is not for me. Like I'm just not part of this club. And when we're talking about community and the importance of community, and we want people to try this beautiful sport and and get into it, then it's it's hypocrisy and it's just not real. Like to to present nothing but like one visualization of what of the of what this sport looks like. And to not yeah. offer them clothes that fit them at the very basic level, right? Like, like yep. so when I first got in the sport, there was just, even women's clothing wasn't around, right? So we've made, like, we've gone light years. But now we have true, beautiful, well-made, all the, all the boxes checked, cycling clothes for plus-size women. Women who are curved, like it's all it's all great so machines for freedom i super support them and that is uh my soapbox and my pick
0: wow i'm i'm intrigued i really gotta you should check, check them, them out, out. I,
1: it's, it's beautiful stuff
0: so they're like the opposite of abercrombie and fitch
1: yes <laughs> they are I, yes um and I, I'm, on I'm many down. many levels so yeah you should you should definitely check them out because it's uh, i am down with it yeah. okay
0: Well, my pick is the Gore C7 shake-dry jacket.
1: I love shake-dry jackets. I don't know the numbers. I don't know C7 from whatever, but I love my shake-dry jacket. Go ahead. proceed. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh,
0: Maybe we can just end there. That might be enough. Uh, So I went to the introduction for this jacket last winter, right after we'd finished getting pretty much all of our rain for the year. (laughs) Mm. So I didn't get to wear it for a long, long time. It's got a very form following fit. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of a proper, you know, racier fit. Um, And that's something that they were able to achieve thanks to some stretchy panels in the underarms and back uh, so that it's, you know, it will move with you. It's totally waterproof, something I did verify over three days of my tour
1: in Taiwan. Oh, I saw it was uh, the, pouring in one of those pictures. That wasn't that group yeah. picture. The group ride, was it?
0: <laughs> no, okay. not the group ride. Okay. Day one of our tour, it it was biblical. I was waiting to hear Bill Cosby go, zhupa, zhupa, <laughs> Noah. Uh, I actually
1: get that joke, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just... There have forty feet into that first day. My feet were wet, and I had waterproof socks on. Wow! It was. I have been rained on that much before, but it's been a long, long time. Um, so, what makes this different from so many other truly waterproof jackets is that it is breathable, if only just. So, if you're riding zone one or kind of zone two. Uh, it will breathe, but once you get into the upper reaches of zone two and then three, four, five, um, it will—you'll be producing perspiration faster than moisture can escape through the membrane. The good news is that at least that moisture is body temperature, right? Um, the shake dry moniker, though, I have found now, is not just marketing fluff either. One of the things that I did do periodically, you know, if I was going a little harder and I could feel moisture building up in the jacket, I'd pull over, stand under an, under an overhang so that I wasn't getting poured on. I'd take the jacket off and I'd give it a shake. Mm-hmm. Like when you put a sheet on the bed, Yep. I just one good whip and then I'd put it back on and I it would definitely feel drier inside. Honestly, I didn't care much if it was drier on the outside. <laughs>
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> you know, it, it, the water's going to rot off. Whatever. Um, now I got to say, this thing isn't cheap. It goes for three sixty nine at retail, and it comes in exactly one color, black. And listeners to this show and readers of RKP know that I hate black stuff. Uh, but the technology in the jacket is so advanced that they haven't figured out how to put pigment in it. Um, They say they are working on it. I'm a big believer in visibility. And so I haven't worn it out on rainy rides here in the U S where people are busy texting their BFF as they drive at 90 miles an hour. But in Taiwan where, (laughs) you know, the drivers seem crazy, but they are stunningly careful. And so being dressed in black didn't really frighten me. And I never had any problems. Uh, Also, the jacket has a single reversible pocket that allows you to stuff the entire jacket into it. Mm -hmm. And then you can store that in your jersey pocket. So it was really easy to keep the jacket with me. Even it was our third day where it would rain some, it stopped raining. It would rain some more, it would stop raining. And so I was taking the jacket off, putting it back on, that sort of thing over the course of the day. But man, I am... Really impressed with that.
1: I don't know uh, if mine is the season. Mine is, um, it's the lady shake dry. A, eh? um, I don't know mm. if, if that just makes the form fitting different. It's not black, it's more like a dark olive, like a uh-huh. mossy color. And I do think it has enough detailings on it that are reflective. Um, that I I would have to pull it out and look at it. It is say it has literally saved me a few times though. Like when I was up in you know mountains and it starts to rain and you're going to be in trouble really quickly. That thing mm-hmm. is it was amazing because it's also quite wind resistant. So like even descending in yeah. cold rain, it was I was very comfortable and very happy to have it.
0: Yeah, if I hadn't brought that jacket with me, the first two days of our tour would have just been.
1: Well, and it's legit unpleasant. light, right? Like you can—that yeah. thing actually does roll into the size of a very small burrito, like a Taco Bell burrito, not a giant whatever. This one's a little bigger than that. Huh? No, um, mine is super, super, super wispy.
0: Yeah, I have to look it up. Yeah, uh, it's it's really neat. You know, they keep improving upon this this concept, mm-hmm. and this one—it's uh, probably the the most form fitting cut that they've done, and that's because of the the. Two stretchy panels in it. Interesting. um And those panels, they've got a, a little waffly sort of shape to it, mm-hmm. um, and that's how they get the stretch. Yeah, cool.
1: uh I'll So I think that
0: makes it. Yeah, uh, it's. I mean, it. It's probably. You know, if I had to pay retail for it, I would. I'd think twice, and then once I had it at home, I wouldn't regret it.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it t- totally. I mean, I think those kind of like there are some signature pieces that. Uh, they definitely, the sticker shock is real, but the, uh, I mean, you get so much mileage out of them, literally. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Alrighty. Well,
0: that's a wrap for this episode of the Pace Line. What are you up to this weekend with your snow?
1: (laughs) Well, the snow is supposed to disappear. It's supposed to, it's, it's going to warm back up and it's supposed to turn to, uh, rain, which should make slush, which is, is, as lovely. as it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, well, you know what I'm doing? I just remember because, as I mentioned, I forgot it was Thanksgiving, um, but it is Thanksgiving. I did sign up to, we have a, a road in our town called 10th Street, which is the steepest road. It, it hits 18%, I think. It's uh, mm-hmm. about a mile long, and it averages, I think, 10%. It's it's quite steep. I mean, it's just, it. you know, it's like one mile, a 1,000 feet, 800 feet, probably. Cool. Um, there have, we're, I'm running a turkey, a frozen turkey up 10th street because they're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're doing it. Come on, you can do it. You oh can like, do it. Yeah, well, that's my daughter's like, how I'm do you, how do the you turkey talk and, like, to a... not a real turkey? Um, no, it's a food drive kind of thing. Like, you know, so many of these Thanksgiving events. So uh, I am currently trying to figure out what backpack I'm going to put my turkey in. So I can Oh, they don't make you just carry it? Well, I, I don't I have to look at the rules, Patrick, because I was hoping that they didn't. <laughs> I don't I honestly don't know. I don't want to break the rules, so I might have to carry the turkey, which I'm hoping that's not the case. But anyway, that's I'm doing that Sunday. Uh that's we're gonna need a picture. There you go. <laughs> what are you up yeah. to? Uh
0: hoping I can ride. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. that's, that's really kind too. of the, the score. And also hoping that my family won't kill me if I drive to Chico on Sunday, but I, there's going to be a, 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 clothing and parts and bike drive at a bike shop in Chico. And, uh, so I'm hoping to get up there with all the many containers of clothing that I have and just cool. start giving stuff out. Good deal. Yeah. That would make me feel good. Yeah. Well, before we go, I'd like to put in a plug for RKP's other podcast, The Poll. Uh, the show features artisans talking about their craft in one-on-one interviews. Think Terry Gross for the bike set. Uh, and the show will be back next week. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with Celine Yeager. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.